Blog Talk Radio. documentary um, fantastic documentary done by ESPN it was done over a couple of days 
not only did it talk about the uh, the great coaches, but it also talked about the great players as well. So you got Black Magic. Right, if you right. haven't seen it, and it's been a while, it's been longer than five years. I know that for sure. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. It may have been 2008, if I remember correctly. I need to see that thing again. Wow. Um, it is a fantastic documentary done by them over a series of days. Um, that And they also actually did a documentary on uh, Coach McKinnon himself as well. Right. Yeah, so I because I, I thought they did, but uh, I kind of forgot if they did or not. But, uh, yeah, because that just caught my mind for a minute there. So glad you brought that up. And for some of y'all, if you hadn't seen that, uh, check out on YouTube or go to watchespn.com or ESPN3.com and try to find it there as well. It's, it's, it's very, yes. very worth the time if you have the time. But speaking of college basketball, yeah, I'm trying to block out Monday night. No one did uh, <laughs> UNC one, which I still am, am told out over that. But it was just hard to watch. I mean, the, the copious amounts of fouls that were called um, and the, the horrific shooting from both teams. I remember uh, Gonzaga's big man just missing point blank range shots at the shot at the shot. And it yes. was a darn shame because it was such a great tournament. To end mm-hmm. on such a dub like that it was nothing like last year's final. Um, no. When it was much more free-flowing and much more offensive, and, and it was just, just better play all, all, all around. So, I mean, I kind of fluctuate between the the, the, the the fact that it was it was, it was was like too many fouls being called. The officials were, I thought were way too whistle-happy, as I said earlier. But it was just one of those things where it was just – it was just a bad mix of both, in my opinion. Too many fouls, mm-hmm. too many such fouls called, and both teams couldn't hit the broad side of a bar. So I just, I just, I just found that very troubling, and I found it very hard to watch. I mean, what say you on that? It's fantastic that you brought those two points up because that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, in your mind, what makes mm-hmm. a bad basketball game in terms of watching? And those are two important right. factors right there. Uh, a lot of stoppage, a lot of game stoppage, which, of course, uh, uh, interrupts the flow of the game, and bad shooting. Now, mm-hmm. to that point, or to both of those points, in the past five years, that championship yeah. game had the most fouls called, 44 total, and mm-hmm. had the worst overall shooting percentage by both teams, which was over, yeah. which was under thirty-five percent. So both teams Ouch. shooting well under forty percent, shooting actually a combined under thirty-five percent. Mm-hmm. With the forty-four fouls called, made it a horrible game to, or made it very hard to watch. I should say, especially if you weren't fans of either Gonzaga or uh, UNC. And it's interesting that you yeah. brought up last year's game in terms in terms of a comparison. Because Villanova in that game last year had the highest shooting percentage in in the yeah. past five years of any yes, team playing in, in in the title game. So like I said, right. it's, it's, it's you had that contrast, and, and I I just wanted to do the, the past five years because of course everybody's memory short, and I didn't want to go too far back. So even within that time frame, you had the, those two things, and then you had that high contrast with Villanova doing what they did. With lower shots taken as well, and and it was just from a very enjoyable buzzer beater last year to a lot of bad shots being taken, 
especially within the last two minutes for uh, for Gonzaga. I just I I was waiting for, and, and I get back to your point about like the whole horrific shoot percentages and more, but I was waiting for the coaches to be subbed in because it seemed like <laughs> the both squads, the entire entire rosters were in foul trouble. I mean. Gosh, I mean, I mean, the, I mean, the game turned, in my opinion, when uh, that that freshman for Gonzaga, I think his last name is Williams, who was uh-huh. playing his ass off. I thought when he fouled out, and when um, and, and then it's too bad when Williams got to the end, got hurt. You know, that made things even worse for Gonzaga, uh, mm-hmm. but because he's like one of the main men, and he couldn't get his legs on even because he had a badly turned ankle, he's trying to play on. God bless him, but. Exactly. Hey, it's just I I just hate to see the officials decide the game like that. I hate to see the officials take the game in their game in their own hands. Let the boys play. Most of the time in national championship games in basketball, they let them play. Yeah. They let the young men play. I, I don't know why they decided this crew decided to call ticky tack foul, the ticky tack foul, the ticky tack foul. It just it's hard it was hard to get in the rhythm. It was hard to keep both mm-hmm. teams in the rhythm because every few seconds it was a stoppage of play because of a takey tack foul call. But I was saying, yeah. going back to your point, that I promised I would about the both teams' horrific shooting. I, I just, you know, this, I mean, that game just pretty much grew, all but ruined the shots of that that big young man in the middle with the uh, lumberjack beer, beer for for Gonzaga. I think his name is uh, Kronowski. I always jack up his name. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Kronowski. Uh I can't pronounce his first name. It's in my life. But, but at any rate, I just – I to see him get manhandled by a much shorter but yet stronger Kennedy Meeks down low. I mean, he couldn't move Kennedy Meeks off the block. He couldn't go mm-hmm. around Kennedy Meeks. It was obvious that Kennedy Meeks' strength and girth bothered even though yeah. uh, uh, Kronowski was, was like a few inches tall. So that's that's if he can't handle the Kennedy Meeks on blocks like that, he can't last in the NBA. He just he just can't. But I I just because it was baffling to see that I mean that to see Kronowski miss shot again point blank range. Shot after miss shot after shot after shot after mm-hmm. shot. But what got me though, Speaking of which, in the first half, I thought Gonzaga was by far the 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 the, the, the aggressor. And yeah. the fact that Gonzaga, I mean, if Gonzaga made half of the shots that they missed, it would have been a double-digit lead going to halftime. I, I just thought yes, that um, Gonzaga just controlled the first half. I really did. And you know, when they were making the mismatches, switch. To uh, to get Wims Goss and, and the other big guard, like whenever Britt was checking out of one of them, they took advantage of of, of, of their size. Because even though both teams had size down low, Gonzaga had a clear advantage in the backcourt, I thought. And I thought it was like very ingenious for Coach Mark Few to take advantage of the first half. I just wish that they were more aggressive and exploit mm-hmm. that even more and made more shots because to me, it's, it's, it felt like it was like a failure being being up by three at, at the half. Because again, I thought that Gonzaga controlled the game so much in the first half, they should have easily been up double digits easily. Yeah. 
But you're right, there's a lot of poor shots being taken, a lot of <laughs> which led to bad shots. And once right. again, like I said, even late late in that second half um, for Gonzaga, you had that period for about a good three minutes there, three to four minutes actually, where William Gross and, and, and your boy, the center, just took a whole lot of bad shots. And it looked like to me that, that Williams uh, Gross Williams Ghost was trying to play hero ball toward the end of the game. It yeah. couldn't yeah. be that effective because, of course, he was doing so on one leg. And it, it, like I said, I, I I feel bad for him being a senior and thinking that he had to be that way with no one else yeah. on his team being able to help him get buckets. And you're right. I just remember one time with them showing that graphic of, of players being in foul trouble. There were like at least six or seven guys on that graphic. I'm like, this is insane, yeah. man. But, you know, yeah. it, it is what it is. Um, you know, congratulations to the Tar Heels for, for coming away uh, with that, that victory. But, um, <laughs> you know, this was, a, in my personal opinion, a missed opportunity in Gonzaga because uh, we know that they're a good team. And they have been, mm-hmm. and the program has continued to grow over the past 20 years. We've talked about this ad nauseum over yeah. the past couple of weeks. It's just a situation, yeah. you know, will they continue to grow and continue to get better? It's, we don't know yet. We don't know, so we'll have to see. Right. But like you yeah. said, with um, their center being out-muscled by Kennedy Meeks, it's a situation where I'm guessing that he wasn't used to playing against another quality big man outside of his conference, even though yeah. they played against quality teams throughout the tournament. Um, that's something that they're going to have to work on and get prepared um, for for the for the I guess the next coming seasons, depending on who they may face in the tournament. Because if they face another Roy, if they face a Roy Williams led the coach team, that's one of, that's going to be one of the issues that they're going to have to deal with, which is uh, down low presence, and that's something that you know they're going to have to get stronger guys for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, that that's what brings up the old tired arguments against. Mark Few and the Gonzaga program. They haven't faced anybody outside the conference. You know, they haven't faced anybody in their conference that could challenge them like that. Rah, 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 mm-hmm. rah. But even though, even though they came up short of the chip, the fact that Gonzaga made it to the Final Four, let alone to the national championship game with a shot at actually winning it, a realistic shot at winning it, should yeah. quell those, those naysayers up. They really should quell them the hell up. Because I think Mark Few is one of the most underrated, underappreciated coaches in all college basketball. I think that he mm-hmm. does a hell of a lot with less. And yeah. the fact that he turned down many offers, many offers to go to, quote, unquote, richer programs or green to greener pastures to stick it out Gonzaga to turn them into a power. I mean, make no mistake, Gonzaga's not a mid-major. It hasn't been a mid-major for the last five, six, seven seasons. It is a power. It is a legit, a, 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 a very legit major program in college basketball. There and Wichita State at that. Yeah. Real, a real power in basketball. And I know I call them the New Jacks over Twitter, but the fact of the matter is they, they've really been here for the past six, seven years. So, yeah, and, longer. And, and the fact that, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and the fact that Fuel's going to stick around, he's not going anywhere, has no reason going anywhere at this point. He, <laughs> he turned on chances before in the past. 
Gonzaga, I mean, I mean, we all, we all should know better than this. Think otherwise, but they're not going anywhere. They're going no. to be around for a long time. And that's credit to Mark Few, his coaching, his recruiting, you know, mm-hmm. his staff. Kudos to them. And kudos to others like, you know, the guy running the show and uh, uh, Butler and as well as Greg Marshall at Wichita State. I love seeing those stories. It show you that you don't have to be in a major program to get the job done in college basketball. You can stay exactly. where you're at with the proper coaching, proper recruiting, mm-hmm. getting players to play the right way. Sorry about that, Larry Brown. And they will do big things. No matter what no matter what conference you're in in D one. You can get it done. It's exactly. And the fact that improvement. Yeah, and the fact that they're doing it without football money makes it that much more remarkable. Yeah. Exactly. So again, now those guys I mentioned are going anywhere, which is great for college basketball. But mm-hmm. since we're talking about the national championship game, I mean, I felt Bad for Mark Few. He's one of the better guys in basketball, but even though I hate UNC, I think Roy Williams is another one of the great guys in basketball as well. I love the fact that he's candid. I love the fact that he's not afraid to shake things up. <laughs> you know, what he said about uh, our current sitting president right now who, quote, likes to tweet about bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that was Roy Williams' work, not mine. Um, but does this place, I mean, this is Roy Williams' third national championship. Could have easily been a fourth national championship if they would have beaten Villanova last year. Um, do you think that with this third national championship that, that should, this should put Roy Williams in a conversation amongst college basketball's Mount Rushmore? I don't know if he's on Mount Rushmore right now, but somebody's yeah. studying his face. Right now, so I mean, he's he's in the conversation. He's he's right there on that cusp, where you know, like you said, he has three national titles, which, if I remember correctly, ties him for fourth all time uh, for a coach. Mm-hmm. Nine right. uh, 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 NCAA Final Four appearances, which ties him, yep. which actually has him in third, if I remember correctly. So yes, mm-hmm. he's there. He is there. So. And, and the fact that he's done it, I mean, he's, he's, he's been able to do it with Blue Bloods, of course, with, with Kansas and, and right. North Carolina. But the fact that he's doing right. it in these programs, you know, it, it's, it's still amazing in, 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 in my eyes. So, yeah, he, like I said, he's not on there yet, but somebody's right. doing, doing a, a, a study right now of, of his facial features. They're, they're getting ready. Uh, yeah, I think that he is very – I mean, he's great. He's a great coach. I don't want to say he's unappreciated, but if you're in the same college basketball league conference as Coach K and uh-huh. Rick Pino and even Jim Bayhide, you kind of get lost in that shuffle a little bit. But, um, yeah, he, to me, he's up there. I mean, I said the same thing about Jim Cahoon at, and uh, UConn, like, like when he was coaching UConn. He's yeah. up He's there. You can't deny Jim Calhoun. You can't deny Roy Williams. I mean, much like, you know, at least Calhoun did it more so. He was he did it more from the ground up. He literally uh-huh. built the UConn program from scratch. Roy Williams can't say that because he took over a world oil machine, and it, like like in terms of a blue blood. Um, yeah. But still, you got to coach it to success. And exactly. coaching means something. I mean, ask the, the likes of uh, – 
uh, Brad Doherty how that works for UNC. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, he, you know, he being Roy Williams, man, several Final Fours, three national titles, with, all with Carolina. And, mm-hmm. you know, he did it with mostly seniors. And, yeah. you know, his five players tend to stay three to four years. Um, so I think, I don't know, I've heard this recruiting class is pretty hot coming in next year. So this begs, it just begs the question. Will we see Warriors back here again? Uh, back there again in, 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 the, in, the, in the Final Four or damn near close. So you got to give him props, even though I'd like to tease him and call him like um, Deputy Dog. That's <laughs> <laughs> my man right there, there Deputy Dog. dog. <laughs> yeah, he, he's Deputy Dog, man, I'm telling you. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is he's one hell of a coach. I, I got to give up. I thought yep. it was interesting that you brought up uh, Beheim and Patino because it's getting to a point now. I might take him over them two right now with, with what he's done mm. in in the ACC. Now, granted, Beheim and, and, and Patino have been in the ACC for a shorter period of time, but you sure. take his NCAA tournament accomplishments, combine them with uh, three ACC tournament uh, titles in eight regular season championships in the ACC. Mm-hmm. I mean, once again, it's, it's, it's hard to take a well-oiled machine and, and, and keep it going, even though it's still a well-oiled machine. It's, it's one of those things, sure. yeah, you give credit to the machine being the machine, but you got to give credit <laughs> to the operator, too. Machine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it, it is what it is. So you, you have to give Roy Williams props. And this is something that you really don't hear a lot said in, in, in conversations outside of the state of North Carolina. Sure, sure. Now, one more thought here. Well, one more, like one more thing to say about those pale blue bastards. Uh, but if I remember <laughs> um, all that talk about the ACC over being overrated after the first weekend of, uh, of the tournament, where practically UNC was the only ACC school in the Sweet Sixteen. And they end up winning it all. Now that they've won it all, um, still, is the ACC still, still overrated? <laughs> it's it's hard to say that they're overrated. I mean, look at their resume. Uh, yeah. Dating back to 2001, they've won eight championships in the last 17 years. They've yep. had at least six teams make it into the tournament for the last five years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, resume speaks for itself. When you have more than a third of the conference making making it into the tournament, eh, the proof's in the pudding. Especially when you got nine yeah. teams making it in this year. So, mm-hmm. it is what it is. You know exactly. So you know, <laughs> you have a situation where next year. They're going to get at least five in easy. Right. That's easy. I can, I can, I can with confidence say that the ACC is going to get five teams in the NCAA tournament next year. How much higher mm-hmm. than five? We'll have to see how teams end up playing next year, and, you know, and see how right. that pans out. But to say that they're overrated, I, I, I won't do it. But yeah. you know, once again, I had that East Coast bias. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here right outside of what once 
was an ACC uh, powerhouse in, in the University of Maryland, um, and also still in, in ACC country, being not too far away from Charlottesville and, and Blacksburg. So, right, yeah, you know, I, 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 I see it all the time. So it, it, mm-hmm. I, I, I will admit and say that I'm influenced, but the stats speak, speak for themselves. They do. Exactly. Thank you for that. I mean, because I think we, I said this in my blog a couple weeks ago when copious, like, article after article after article came about the ACC being so overrated, we're such prisoners of the moment. I mean, we all yeah. I mean, no, no one's immune from it. I mean, but, but the thing is, is that, to your point, you take into account, especially the last three or four years, yeah, it's not overrated. Sorry, Pops. <laughs> sorry, sorry to all of you. And all those guys who wrote about the ACC being overrated, it just ain't the truth. Um, yeah. But let's go from one team that I can't stand to no one I despise. <laughs> Tony Romo. Dallas, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. I didn't expect this retirement to come. To be honest with you, I thought that he was going to just get his final way out of Dallas going to the Houston, Texas roster, Texans roster, or maybe Denver, <laughs> you know, to continue the last couple of years of his career. But but basically, I mean, it's hard to argue with Tony Romo's decision to retire because he's broken down. He's, 30, he's almost 37 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he came off of back to years where he only played five games. I heard somewhere five games. Of a possible thirty five out of possible thirty two games the last two mm-hmm. seasons. Um, I think it was time for him to go. I, I mean I mean the fact is that he has his family, he wants to be around his family more and going through a TV gig at CBS ain't bad. <laughs> Especially Not at all. If, it's tr- if it's true about him supplanting Phil Sims as the number one on like uh, like on the color guy uh, on the number one team with the uh, broadcast team with Jim Nance. Yeah. Um, so I thought they argue that decision there, but did you think that he could have stuck it out for one or two more years in the NFL? Maybe should try to find his way into a roster, try to make a Super Bowl run, or do you agree with his decision just just, just to hang him up and walk away? Well, I'm I'm actually split, Scott, and, and let me explain why. Mm. You know what? If he's hurt the way that he believes that he is, it is the best decision for him to walk away. But. Mm-hmm. Like yourself, I am a Cowboys hater, of course, being yes. a fan of, of the Washington team. Um, <laughs> and it would have been fantastic. My God, do you understand how beautiful it would have been to have seen him go to the likes of Houston or maybe even Denver? And a mm-hmm. healthy Tony Romo in that situation with a DeAndre Hopkins or that fantastic receiving core that they have in Denver. Yeah. Take that 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 team, take them to the Super defense. Bowl, and, and and oh my God, and with both defenses, oh both my God, outstanding defense, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, and, and, and you have a healthy Tony Romo with those defenses, and and that receiver or receiving core, that's a Super mm-hmm. Bowl threat, and for him to do that and to win one outside of Dallas. I would laugh my ever-loving ass off. It would be so entertaining. It would be. Oh, my God. I wouldn't stop laughing. It would be 2018, April 
2018, next year, if they were to win the Super Bowl in, in say, February with, with Tony Romo, I'd still be laughing. I'd, I, I, would, I would probably have passed out several times over from laughing so hard at Cowboys fans and for those that just disapprove so much of Tony Romo. Now, do I believe that he's a first-team CBS color guy broadcaster worthy? I don't know, but maybe he's done something to show the CBS brass that he's capable of doing it. I mean, he's had the time. He's had he's had a ton of time to do that. So for him to go out and you know be able to to audition and do so, because like you said, he's only played five games in a potential thirty-two uh, game scenario. So mm-hmm. if, if 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 he's shown enough, and and maybe they just want to ride Jim Jim Nance that heavy. You know, so be it. Plus, he's going to get him a nice check. So yeah. he'll be fine. But, you know, like I said, I would have enjoyed seeing him in another uniform, mm-hmm. lifting up the Lombardi Trophy, as long as it wasn't against my skins, and, and and just rubbing it in the face of the Cowboy faithful and those that doubted him. Because when the season ended, someone posted, and I hate these situations, Someone posted mm-hmm. on, on on Facebook that Tony Romo was overrated. Then I'm like, how in the world is this guy who's undrafted come in un, uh, uh, unseized uh, uh, yeah. Drew Bledsoe as a starting quarterback, has yeah. the third highest quarterback rating in NFL history, the highest playoff quarterback rating in NFL history, and mm-hmm. and how is he how is he overrated? I'm trying to understand this. I I, yeah, I, I no just don't see it. Overrated. You know, no one thinks yeah. it's overrated. And plus, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to just get to the last part of this is talk about his legacy. I mean, I think uh-huh. you pretty much nailed. It. I wrote a I wrote a rant earlier yesterday uh, regarding his rant. You know, the fact that I ain't touching this as much, but I'm, I'm going to touch on it a bit because you brought it up. He was undrafted at Eastern Illinois. Now, mm-hmm. what are the odds of an undrafted player becoming the star of a team and playing for, what, 14, 15 seasons, let alone the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys? I mean, yeah. who, how, what are the odds of that happening, of that ever happening? Well, but he did it. He well, did it. Uh, according to, according to uh, NFL fans, it's quite easy because Tom Brady has done it. So, you know, if, well, if one guy can do it, another guy can do it. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. six round. He was a six rounder. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forget. That's yeah. that's that's one round away from not being drafted at all. I'm sorry. So yeah. you know, it's close yeah. enough. But much. you know, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, yeah. I thought I tried to throw oh, that out worry. there, but no. but yeah, 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 I forget he was undrafted. I just said that. Yeah, but yeah. The, the chances of that happening are slim to none, especially at the quarterback mm-hmm. spot. You'll see it happen at other spots, especially at the running back position. But to see it happen at the, the prestigious quarterback spot, not at all. And yep. for me, I was I was there in the house for his second overall start, which was a fantastic start against the Skins, even though they lost. Yay, Sean Taylor! But um, yeah, he, he looked remarkable in that game. But to answer your question about his legacy, regardless of all of the greatness that he has. Unfortunately, his legacy is going to be held to 
being unable to play well in December and January. Now, that was true for about maybe seven or eight seasons. But after that, he turned it around. But no one wants to think about that. Everyone always remembers the, 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 the latter statement. And then also you got mm-hmm. the situation of what happened in Seattle, the fumble on the extra point try. Then you got, that's my quarterback. Then yeah, you got right. the multiple injuries. So it, 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 when you think about his legacy, unfortunately, being that he hasn't actually led the league's typical category with the likes, and, and which actually is flashy to those uh, pundits and fans like yardage, touchdowns, Actually, those are two right there. Yardage touchdowns and Super Bowl wins. Being that he doesn't have, and you know, he's not in top five in, in, in those three categories, his mm-hmm. legacy is always going to be looked up, looked at as a, a negative, even though I, as a skin fan, yes, will say he's a lot better than what a lot of people give him, give him credit for. And I've spent many a day defending this dude begrudgingly, because he's a quality QB when healthy. Yep, exactly. And that's the thing. I Me, I agree with all that, but I kind of see the other side of it. I mean, Stephen A. Smith, I'm sure you already know about this, he just went off <laughs> at the notion <laughs> that people are giving him praise because, in his mind, he didn't win anything. Uh, he's <laughs> he won two playoff games, total two playoff games his entire career, and mm-hmm. uh, didn't make didn't make the champ conference championship. Didn't even make make, make a Super Bowl. Um, no. However, that's not the the denigrated accomplishment. But I liken him him being Tony Romo. I liken him to our generation, this generation's rather Danny White. We all remember Danny mm. White. Danny White was yes. the guy who succeeded. The guy and Roger Starback. He, mm-hmm. you know, Dan, like uh, Danny White was a back, was Starback's backup for the last what three or four seasons, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more than that actually, uh, of Starback's career. And so it's easy to see why when Starback like retired, like uh, uh, trying to think, like uh, Danny White actually played at a higher level, like 1980 season. I mean he. Had over 20 touchdown passes, if I'm not mistaken, and as well as the 81, the 83 seasons, they went out damn good quarterback. Yeah. The matter is, like Romo, he couldn't get his team over the hump. I mean, he he was he lost in the J in the conference championship game to Philadelphia 1981, the 80-81 season, 49s mm-hmm. that classic, and ended the 81-82 season. Your your skins in '83. Um, yeah, buddy. And just, just, I know, <laughs> just them a few. And to me, I mean, I mean, you know, I, that's not to say that Danny White was a scrub. He was a damn good quarterback. He just didn't win the big one. Just wasn't Walter Starback. And later on, he wasn't Tony Aikman. I mean, Tony Aikman. He wasn't Troy Aikman. Uh, Tony yeah. Romo was the Troy Aikman. So, to me, I look at again. Romo had a pretty good career as from an undrafted free agent quarterback to leading the Cowboys over the last 10 or so years of his career. And he played at a high level, just the injuries like betrayed his body. And the fact that he couldn't get his Cowboys over the hump, 
He is this generation's Danny White. You know what? That is a fantastic assessment. That is the best comparison I've heard. The the one that was closest to that that I heard that was pretty good was Trent Green. He's this mm. generation's Trent Green, where I would say he was probably slightly better than Trent, even though, yeah. you know, they both put up fantastic numbers. They can never win playoff games. They can never really get their team over that hump, even though they, he put up pretty good numbers. But that, that Danny White comparison is spot on, because I would say he's slightly, in my personal opinion, slightly better than, ah, but the thing that gets him a little bit closer to Trent Green, of course, is the injuries. That's yeah. the thing. You know, Trent Green had a history of injuries, especially with the situation in, in St. Louis, and, and, right. and the same thing with Tony Romo. So it, it, he's, in my opinion, right there in between Trent and Danny. And that's why when people ask me if 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 uh, Tony is a Hall of Famer, if I have no. him between Danny and Trent Green, <laughs> And neither one of them are in. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that, that I can't believe that someone had to, uh, someone on TV, I forget who the hell it was, had to un- unmitigate a gall to even ask that question. I mean, seriously? No. People ask it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, that's just stupidity. <laughs> I mean, whoever asked that question had their, their um, football fan slash uh, 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 journalist card revoke because they should know better than that. That's that's yeah, the Hall of Famer. They ask that but, question. Yeah, but the, the thing is this though, Scott. The, the, the reason why it's kind of questionable is because, like I said before, mm-hmm. you know the, the quarterback rating thing is there. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's had. Well, he's had a couple of winning seasons. For the most part, he's been part of a lot of those eight and eight mediocre seasons in Dallas. Yeah. If not the front man for that. Um, and then, like I said before, even even without two gold rings, if he were to have been a leader in passing touchdowns or, or yardage at, at least two times in, in mm-hmm. either category, it would have been questionable. But like I said before, you got Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, um, all ahead of him during his time yep. there. What do you do? So, yeah, I know. What do you do? You do what you do. But anyway, yeah, again, Romo's no scrub. Let's just get this no. on record. On the, like, like on the cloud. The cloud does not believe. The Romo's a scrub. He's just Danny White. And as a result, he's not a Hall of Famer. So there you go right there. Hey, man. I hate the fact that we spent most of the, the majority of the show talking about two teams that we despise the most. Yeah. In college ball and in the NFL. But it was entertaining. It was great. So thanks a lot for, 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 for joining me, brother. <laughs> Powder blue, wow. <laughs> yeah. Pale blue. Pale blue. Pale right. blue. Pale Even blue. worse. Even <laughs> worse. <laughs> Pale blue. All right, brother. Take care. All right. right. That's my guy, Dwayne Nash. Please check him out on uh, Sleeping Radio every Tuesday night on Blocker Radio as well as the Sports Blog, the Yard slash HBCU Sports for all things HBCU Sports. Yeah. With all that, that, you know, that means gone to 
Uh, the NFL draft. The NBA season is still going. That's good news. But the bad news is baseball season is here. I'm just playing. I'm a Yankees fan. Love it. But anyway, uh, thank y'all for joining for for, for tuning in to the to the clown hour. The Scott Brooks on off. Oh six. Good night. <laughs>